Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero Podcast is brought to you by Unfortunate Cookies. At the end of your meal, no longer should you have to crack open a stale bite of sweetness to find a message of generic positivity. Instead, try Unfortunate Cookies, the devious and delectable treats that prey on your greatest fears and get strangely specific while doing so. Fall victim to bite-sized doses of reality like, it's not your baby, you should probably get tested, and hooray, you're going to federal prison. More than our recipe will leave a bad taste in your mouth. We're about as sweet as diabetes. Unfortunate cookies. The cookie? It takes a bite out of you. Patent pending. plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yes! Yeah! Yes! Yeah! 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 Now get ready. This is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to the Platinum Sombrero. Joining me via remote from Utah, home of Braves Dren, a fun listener of the show, one of our good buddies. Doc, you're way out there on the West Coast, man. Yes, sir. I uh, I came out here to visit a client, but I was not about to uh, miss recording an episode. Not after I missed uh, recording last month when I was in Italy. So uh, I am in the mountains and it is still daylight out here. But uh, ready to talk some baseball, man. We've got a lot to talk about. We sure do. And as always, brought to you by our good buddies at Armchair All-Americans and our friends at MyBookie.ag, the number one place to go for any and all online sports betting, whether your game is baseball, whether it's hockey, basketball. Sorry, those are over for now. But you can find something else, maybe something like boxing. Uh, maybe you're a fan of putting some money on mixed martial arts. Maybe you want to throw some money on soccer. MyBookie.ag has all the best lines, all the best prop bets right there for you, ready and easy to find. And if you ever have any questions about a line, their customer service is second to none. Just use our promo code BRAVES25 and get a 50% deposit match on your initial deposit by going to MyBookie.ag, play, win, and have a great time. All right, so recording this on a Wednesday, you guys are obviously hearing this Friday, so we're going to be talking about Max Fried start tonight. Uh, but, but before we really dig into any and all of that, first things first, a very happy birthday to Doc's lovely wife Val. Yeah, yeah. I uh, when when this trip got booked, I was uh, pretty. 
I hate to use the word devastated, but I was I was not exactly excited that I was going to to miss her birthday. But she's in grad school now, and she's got midterms this week, and I think that she was really glad that I'm out of the house. So <laughs> that <laughs> was need... one of my birthday gifts to her is that I left. Right. So you don't need the grad school and the exams for any of that. Just be just a break. Yeah, exactly. So uh, happy birthday, honey. She is, she is so-and-so years old today. I don't know if she would be worried about me saying how old she is. It's an anniversary of her 25th birthday. We don't know which anniversary. There you go. All right. Well, aside from that, again, happy birthday, Val. Um the Braves are in, and I, I've talked about this. If you listen to the Locked On show, I've talked about this for what seems like the past three days. The Braves are in one of the most insane offensive runs I think I have ever seen. Definitely one of the most insane that I've ever seen as far as a Braves team do. This offense right now, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what's in their water, but they're all about to get drug tested. It wouldn't surprise me if if half the team failed. I mean, what they're doing now, you see a lot of comparisons to the 2003 team that had Chipper and Sheffield and Javi Lopez and and Vinny Castilla. You know, that was that was a juggernaut. But I mean, now it's like ever since you and I uh, started talking and doing the pregame, you know, they scored three runs in this inning. You know, they just everywhere you look, it's like, who are you going to go to to get an out? I mean, they they hung 15 on on the Phillies on Sunday. Like I, I drew game coverage for that game uh, for talking chop. And by the end of it, like I was bored writing about how much ass they were kicking. It was weird. Like when you're up 15 to one, it's just like it's exhausting. Like, my God, you guys save some really. It, and it's true. I think the what ended up being the best part of that 15 to one game, aside from just dashing Phillies hopes there was like the only compelling thing after like the third inning was the fact that you got to see Wasker Enoa make his MLB debut. And he looked great. He sure did. And uh, got sent down right after that because he'd been working on five day. Uh, f- he'd been working on, on five days of rest. He hadn't been doing uh, strict reliever work. He'd been working as a piggyback with Patrick Weigel, but he got called up again last night as Sean Newcomb went to the seven day concussion IL. Uh, so Wasker got called back up. He hasn't gotten into the game yet. Um, I don't know if he will or not. It's still kind of a close game at the moment. But uh, what what do you think Waskar could be if he's up for an actual stretch of games? You know, I think the fact that he's got he's had time not as a as a full on starter like he, like you said he's been, he's been piggybacking a lot this year, so he'd be a really effective multi inning reliever. I think you see that a lot with. Uh, who the Braves are leaning on now with with Tukey and Newcomb and Josh Tomlin and even Luke Jackson in some instances where you can have a guy come out and not just give you one solid inning and get out of the game. And I think that he his arm is electric enough to where he could maintain for a good couple of innings since he was touching. My God, he hit 99, I think. He hit 100 yeah. three times. God, that's crazy. So So like that's a guy that you can count on if he's got his control that day because it does kind of come and go. But uh, but you saw the movement on, on the pitches, and I mean he's he's got a chance to be a really really special guy. And the fact that he hasn't been converted to bullpen full time, I think he could be kind of like that in between, um, not quite like a long relief because it always makes me think of Christian Martinez and like we're not putting in Christian Martinez unless we're uh, down by eleven in the in the fourth inning. So, uh, but yeah, somebody who could give you some actually decent meaningful innings. Like what do you see? Like you you were a pitcher. I mean, what do you see about him that you like so much? 
there's a whole mess of things. First off, you got to go back and like just for fun, take a look at where this kid was at in 2017 when the Braves traded Jaime Garcia for him. Just take a look at him then and look at him now. It's it is incredible how how far he's come in that short of time, and he's always had an electric arm. It's, it runs in the family. His brother, Michael Linoa was one of the biggest signings ever out of the Dominican Republic. I believe he was in, uh, I believe he got something like a $27 million contract or just something insane. Um, got an absolutely gigantic contract and then busted. Um, but Michael, you was like six, six, like 250 pounds. Oscar's like six, one, a buck 95. He looks to be pushing about two fifteen right now though. He's got a little paunch on him, but that arm is so electric. And remember when we had Ben Chase on one of the times we've had him on the show, what he was saying was Wasker Inoa was was more a victim of throwing too many pitches. That he had like six or seven pitches he was throwing when he was a, a twins prospect. The Braves got him and cut him down to about four. And now you're really seeing him work about three pitches consistently. That fastball, that curveball, and he's got a splitter that he that he hasn't used a touch. He's used to change up a little bit more. You're right about his mechan- his his command, and it's really more mechanics related. He'll kind of get out of out of whack sometimes. I wonder if he can be this year's version of Chad Sabatka a season ago. That's probably a good way to look at it too, because Sabatka had a similar had a similar affliction with the walks, like super hard throwing. Just command comes and goes sometimes, but like when when he's on, he's basically unhittable. So. And this year, uh, Inoa has walked 21 and 40 and two-thirds innings. So that's uh, one one every other inning or so, which that's doable. Deal as well as a reliever, that's doable. It, well, it, it depends well, yeah, on the role. Yeah. It depends on the role. You you mentioned him more as the the multi-inning guy. I think if you're looking at guys that are future pieces at the end of the bullpen, you guys know that I believe I believe Tuki Tucson's going to end up the closer of this team. Uh, I don't think it'll be this year. Uh, but I think in the future that Tukey will will pull a Rysel Iglesias and end up as the closer. But if not Tukey, Inoa is a very, very interesting candidate. Him and his piggyback mate and Gwinnett Patrick Weigel, friend of the program, both of those guys would make a ton of sense in that back end. I think if you're looking for a guy who's a multi-inning type of guy, I think that's more Weigel's speed because he's just so big and so durable, and he's done both kind of seamlessly. I think Inoa in these one- to two-inning stints his stuff is just so electric that if he can harness his if he can if he can be consistent in his mechanics and his arm slot that is a huge find and i i was so happy to see it it was great to watch him do that as a guy that you know i'll be honest i didn't have huge hopes for him when the Braves got him it just seems that the Braves somehow always seem to come up aces with these huge armed control problem type of pitchers and Ben Ben Chase is is a really good guy to listen to when it comes to a guy like Anoa because he also covered the Twins for a long time. So yeah, he knew a ton about him. He knew more than anybody that we knew when when the Braves got him. And yeah, trimming down his arsenal, you know, he does kind of fit that traditional closer profile. I did mention the the twenty one walks and forty and two thirds innings. He's also struck out fifty, you know. So and and there might have been some bad bad luck in there too. So. I will be curious to see. I hope they don't make him ride that the shuttle too much, but I mean, he's super young. I mean, the guy just turned 21 last month, so he's got plenty of options. He's he might be kind of viewed as more of a. They put him on the 40 man roster, so 
he wouldn't get taken in the Rule 5 because they, they obviously believed in him. He's already been promoted four times this year. So he, he might just kind of be a victim of we need somebody to come in and be a body. And when the, when the Braves were up 15 to one the other day, they might have just said, well, uh, this is a perfect time for you to get some, some innings and in, in garbage time, as, as it were. But he did show out really well. I hope they don't make him ride the shuttle too much. But uh, sometimes when you see guys like, you know, and I don't have a problem with Jerry Blevins, but I think that if Noah starts showing a little bit, that he's a, he's a real guy that can be a force. Then I think that you might start seeing some of these kind of fringe guys like a Blevins just kind of see themselves back in DFA wire. I think the other interesting thing is I've seen some people positing that maybe he's a trade piece and that's why he was called up before Patrick Weigel, despite the fact that I think Patrick Weigel has been a little bit better uh, pretty much all year, but especially since I've gone to AAA, that's an interesting one. Um, I think if they were wanting to, to view him as a trade piece, it would have been a spot start and not a relief appearance, though. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just the, the stock is obviously going to be much higher if it's going to be somebody who's still a starter instead of someone who's going full relief. Even if you can go multiple innings, it's all the optics. And you, you want somebody who can prove that they're going to – if it's going to be a, a prospect that's not – maybe maybe headline a deal, depending on who it's going to be. I mean, the guy's the, the Braves' 12th-ranked prospect overall, so – He's obviously got some pedigree there, but uh, I th- yeah, I think you're right. I think they would have given him like an actual start if it was going to be something where they're trying to showcase him. Either way, it was great to see from him. Uh, we'll see if he manages to get into any games while he's up here again. Uh, but back to the offense. You mentioned that there's not really an out to get in this offense, and most of the times when people say that they're they're being kind of they're kind of being hyperbolic. There's usually one or two weak links in the lineup. There has not been for the Braves one through eight. You can say Nick Markakis hasn't been spectacular, uh, mostly because his OPS is in, is one of two on the Braves starting nine that's in the 700s and not the 800s and up. Um, but really, Markakis, and this is going to get taken wrong by half the listeners I know, but I'm going to try to explain this. Uh, <laughs> Markakis is, is one of the most annoying hitters to have to face. And when Eric O'Flaherty talks about that he would hate to face Marcakis with with one out or no outs and a runner on second and third, he's he's like when he says that that's the most feared type of hitter, I he doesn't mean like I'd rather face Mike Trout than than Nick Marcakis. It, it's it's the type of at bat that you get out of him because Nick is one of those annoying dudes that just never gives a bat away. He's like Jeff McNeil, where. Every single pitch, every single at-bat is a very stressful one for a pitcher because he'll go out there and he'll have seven, eight-pitch at-bats. He'll just foul things away by just flicking a wrist, and then lo and behold, he'll just kind of bloop one. Like It's not like he's got that huge chance to take you yard and put a three-spot up on the board randomly, but it's a very high probability that at least one of those runs is coming in. No, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. The Jeff McNeil comp is very good. Um, but yeah, he's so pesky. Like he's not, it, when, when you're going, you look at a lineup and you're going to Nick Markakis to get an out. I mean, you're kind of screwed because like, even if his OPS is like 780 or something, by no means is that elite, but it's the, the way that he gets to it. It's the way that he works counts to call him a professional hitter is so cliched and it's not really looked at as like a, as much of a compliment, it's but it looked at like be. game managers are for like when you say Alex Smith is a game manager of a quarterback, that's not meant to be a good thing. It's meant to be like he 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 plays 
beyond his limitations. It's essentially what you're saying about Marcakis. I just, he's so, just what a, he is the perfect, and this is the half of our listeners that you didn't just alienate, I'm going to alienate now. He's the perfect right fielder for this team. You know what I mean? Like, he's the guy, because, like, even if you're not, you, you look at guys like where you've got Acuna and Dansby and Freddie and Donaldson who can all take you deep at any given time. And then you get to Marcakis and you almost get the feeling like you can let your guard down because he's not as much of a candidate to take you deep immediately. And then you wind up, he's going to smack a double in the gap, which is not as bad. But then you got Austin Riley coming up on the other side of that. I mean, it's like he's he's not without his faults. He's 35. He's he's not Mitch Hanniger. He's not whoever else everybody wanted in the offseason. God knows I wanted Han- Hanniger too before he ruptured one of his testicles, which is one of the weirdest injuries I've ever heard of. <laughs> but yeah, like I, my condolences to you for Did, that one. Mitch. That's two people that have ruptured testicles. One is enough. You uh, know, the, like it, the, it, the real Muto one was. Now, see, I didn't see Hanniger live. I saw the replay, and it was horrible. But we all saw JT live, and I wanted to throw up. I literally wanted to throw up or cry or both. Well, props to him for, for sticking in the game. But, uh, but you know, there, there were a ton of different, different right fielders that, are, that you could have plugged into that spot. But I think that just how he fits in the lineup, how he fits into the, the architecture of the team, like fit means a lot. It's not always just a guy who's going to come in and hit you a, a, a crap load of home runs. I mean, he... It's a great fit. And for what the Braves have going on right now, like I just, I, I love the fact that he's on this team. I, I really do. And uh, for the rest of the offense, I mean, you got Ozzy Albies hitting in the eighth spot sometimes and Ozzy's on base up until last night when the Braves had faced the Grom, his, his OBP for the last 50, uh, 50 something plate appearances was 500. I mean, even even McCann has started hitting for power. You know, like there was a lot of doubt about what he was going to be offensively when he came over, and he's hitting like three hundred. And he's in half half time. Uh, he's got six home runs. I mean, that's it's unbelievable. And you you see a team like the Phillies come in and know they don't have elite pitching, but they wind up giving up thirty one runs or something or twenty seven runs over the course of a weekend. I mean that. That season series is 4-2 in Philadelphia's favor, but the way that they got beaten, the demoralizing loss on Friday night, and then just the absolute beatdown on Sunday, like that changed everything. Like if you're a Phillies fan right now, knowing that you beat the Braves three games, uh, first three games of the season, and then the Braves have played uh, five and a half games better than you, not to mention beat the brakes off you the last time they saw you, you got to be kind of shaking a little bit. It's a long season. There's a lot of head-to-head matchups going on, but they think they finally realize like, they're not playing the same team that they were playing in opening weekend. No, and I'm glad you brought up Ozzy hitting eighth because that's actually the guy that I was going to touch on. Everybody talks about how horribly difficult it is to hit eighth, and yet Ozzy is not just hitting there. He's actually thriving there. Uh, we've mentioned this season before about how his OBP is up so much higher from last year, and it's because he's actually taking walks now. He's he's much more in line with his minor league numbers now than a, a year ago where he got caught the home run bug in that first half and decided he was just going to yank on everything. Now you're seeing him be a little bit more complete. He's still, you know, he's still not perfect from the left side of the plate by any means, but he's doing better than he did a year ago. And 
just the, the lineup as a whole, and we've talked about it with Acuna being leadoff, obviously, and about how we don't give Snicker credit for putting Acuna leadoff. They're like, it shouldn't have taken you a month to come to that realization. But the the way the lineup is currently constructed, I think I'd pr- I'd prefer to have Riley ahead of Marquez personally, just me. Um, but but you can't argue with the results. I mean, right now, whether you want to say that the results are are you know they're obviously not going to continue. You're not going to continue to average like ten runs a game. It's not possible um, or plausible. I mean, um, but for right now, the lineup is carrying this team because the starting pitching, despite the fact that they had been really, really good for a while, they kind of came back down to earth in that Philly series. And uh, for the first two outings, or the first two games of this Mets series, they kind of fell back down just a touch. So what was it? It was Freed started on Friday and gave up five runs against Philly. It and did then, not look good doing it. No, 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 no. It was, it was not, not one of his better starts. And then who started on Saturday? I cannot remember who started on Saturday. Newcomb. He got hit in the back of the head. That's Oh, yeah, that's right. God, that ball caromed so far Did off you the see back of JT Real Muto, his reaction? Yeah, God. that was And that was the same game where he wound up getting um, – getting compromised in the manhood so yeah but yeah <sighs> that was a bad and, game and obviously he didn't he didn't do that on purpose you know and like even if even if you were trying to do it on purpose you would have a really hard time doing it but like you could tell that he just felt horrible about that and Newcomb was like he was laughing as he was walking off the mound he was just like you know what he said after the game like you split football I, I've had actual concussions this is not one which is somebody something that somebody who's concussed says but uh but yeah, the, it, so he wound up getting pulled, and then Tukey came in after him, if I'm not mistaken. And yep, yeah. So that that game wound up being the least gory as far as runs go. And then Fulty on Sunday had one of his better outings, but even still, he had some where he would, you know, he'd strike a guy out, and then he would just uncork one like six feet above the catcher's head, <laughs> like three you know, of them. He did, he, like he uncorked two in a row yeah, in the backstop. Falling off the mound, and he's just like, God, I look ridiculous right now. But that was the second straight time that he hasn't given up a home run in an outing. So small victories there. But you're starting to see some of the amazing things that Soroka was doing, some of the amazing things that Julio was doing. You're starting to see some of that wear off a little bit, which was bound to happen. You know, a lot of the time when people talk about regression to the mean and everything, it's it's not meant to, to be a compliment. It's but like some of that stuff, it's like Mike Soroka is not going to maintain a 114 ERA all season. You were talking about 10 runs not being plausible. Neither is a one one fourteen ERA with sub two fit to go along with it. So right, and especially for a guy that gives up as much contact as Soroka typically does. Yeah, yeah, and and Julio. Let's let's talk for a second about the implications hold on, of Julio's hold on. bad stuff. Hold, hold that Julio thought. We're gonna get to that one in just a second. Okay. Okay. Uh, because I've actually dug pretty deep on Julio. Uh, I, I want to finish up the the rest of this the the pitching thing just for a second before we get to Julio because we're gonna spend some time on that. Um, I I, I want to throw this one in there because I don't think we're gonna take too long on this question. I got asked on six eighty the fan this morning. Uh, Steak asked me. Um, whether or not I thought that Fultonevich or Kevin Gosman could find their way into the closer role by the end of the season, because Luke Jackson, whether 
it, it kind of depends on whether how you feel about the save stat or blown saves or whatever. But Luke Jackson's blown six out of what seventeen save opportunities, six out of sixteen right. or six out of seventeen, uh, yeah. which not a not a strong percentage. Uh, and he has gotten steadily worse as the season has gone on. He's not been bad by any stretch of the means. I believe his ERA for the month of June is like three thirty four. Uh, month of May was like three twenty eight, and then in April it was like two thirty seven. So he's gotten progressively worse, but it's still not at that like tear your hair out type point. Like it's not where Minter was at before he got set uh, before he got sent down. Uh, so I, I understand asking about whether whether the Braves should get a, a full on closer. Uh, or, or just a, a better option in the bullpen. And Doc, you wrote up a, a piece that had several guys listed. Um, but as far as Fulte and Gosman go, I, I'm interested to hear your take and see if it lines up with my own. Um, I don't think either of them would be fit for the closer role. I think I would keep Fulte in the rotation for as long as I can right now, just because I feel like he's starting to get closer even even with the the weird optics of how, of how things came off on on Sunday with the with the errant pitches and falling off the mound and everything but I think he's starting to get back to a little closer to where he needs to be Gossman I don't think is going to be a uh, a closer but I could definitely see him thriving in a bullpen role I really think that he would be well suited to go out there air it out for one maybe two innings at a time and then get out of there before things go sideways. But uh, and part of that has to do with the fact that he's just if he's just going to go uh, fastball splitter, two pitch guys can work out of the bullpen in that that type of scenario. What do you think? I agree with you on Fulte. Uh, his last start, you talked about the weird optics, and it, like that was the best stuff Fulte has had all year, as far as the velocity, as far as the movement, as far as the the sharpness of the break. That was the best pure stuff he'd had all year. Uh, it was also one of his worst games of command, and like you could tell that that was the first time in a while he'd had that kind of stuff because he had no clue where it was going. Uh, five walks with his six strikeouts, but only gave up one run somehow. I don't know if that was a mark on Fulty or if that was more a mark of ineptitude on the Phillies part, but whatever, I'll take it. It was a good sign for Fulty that his stuff had that type of life again. I agree. I don't think the Braves would move him to the bullpen. Now, in previous years, I've thought that Fulty was a, a potential closer candidate. Um, I believe I even said as much last year in the very beginnings of our shows before Fulty really put together that 2018 the more I think about it, the more I don't think that Fulte, even if you were moving him out of the rotation, would be a good fit as a closer. I don't think he has that mentality. He's the type of guy, like, and I'm not saying this to be mean, but he's that type of pitcher that you kind of got a baby a little bit because he he is so he, he is so emotional on the mound, and, and some pitchers pitch great with emotion. Some guys get fired up. Fulty's one of those who gets down on himself, and, and it's not just that he gets down. It's that you can tell that he gets down, and that's not really what you look for in a closer. Like That's the type of thing that will give an opposing team momentum and give them life. Uh, so I, even if Fulty were to move to the bullpen, I don't think he would be a, a closer type, um, but I think that the Braves keep him as a starter for as long as possible. Now, whether the Braves kind of regret not selling high on him or not, uh, I think it's I, – I, I don't know. Um, if he can come back and get some sort of semblance of 2018, he's in a good spot right now because especially once Keiko comes up on Friday, Fulte doesn't have to be this DeGrom-type ace for this team. Soroka is an outstanding pitcher. Uh, 
we both think that Keiko can do good things for the Braves as long as you have your expectations in check. Uh, Julio's pitching a lot better. Max is a very talented arm as well. There, there's not you're not just having to kind of lean on Fulte and say, hey, go out here. You're the only guy who's worth anything. As far as Gosman, again, I don't see him as a closer, but that's because I don't generally buy into taking a guy out of the starting rotation and immediately putting him in a closer role. I don't remember the last time that's ever happened, like midseason. It might have happened in off. Like even Rysel Iglesias, he pitched as a starter, but – then he got sent down, and then when he came back up, he was in the bullpen, and then that offseason, they made him the closer because that was when they traded Araldis Chapman. It wasn't just this, all right, he went from starting to closing in the span of one game. You just you don't see that often because it really is, as much as we, we kind of diminish the importance of a closer and kind of just call them another reliever, there really is a different mindset involved when you're talking about those type of guys. They, they're kind of off in their own world. And, you know, Gossman, who knows? He might thrive because I've said this before, and I, I feel bad every time I say it, but Kevin Gossman seems like he's probably a dick. And to be a closer, you kind of have to be a dick a little bit. You know what I mean? So he, he I think he's got the mentality. I just write the second. I don't know if he's got the stuff. You know, and for as many guys as have been kind of riding the shuttle back and forth and been on the, the quote unquote, been on the IL to, to work some things out, like, you know, Chad Sabaka, who we talked about uh, comparing him to Oscar and Noah, I, I think that he, he could find himself back up at some point. I mean, there are plenty of other options. You never know. Gossman could wind up getting the Ender Arte treatment, and, and everybody on the, at the front office and on the team is like, oh, yeah, that guy. Whatever happened to him? <laughs> uh, his back's still barking. Yeah. Oh, sure. He's clear to to resume baseball activities. You said that three weeks ago. Nobody's heard anything. By the way, we should mention for Sabatka because I don't think we've mentioned him on the show since he went down. And Triple A's gone six and two thirds in uh, five games. He's currently striking out almost fifteen per nine with walks under three per nine. So that's pretty good there. Uh, a one thirty five ERA, but a one twenty one FIP. So you don't see that often. For a guy who's rocking nearly 15 strikeouts per nine, that his FIP is actually lower than his ERA. Uh, so as, as much, he's also got like a 70, 77% ground ball rate. So hope, hope, hopefully Chad can, has figured something out because you and I both love Sabatka. Um, Keiko's set to get his first start on Friday. I mentioned in my Dallas Keiko piece that I think he compares favorably. I used to think he compared to Julio Tehran. That was wrong. Uh, I think he's a lot more comparable to Soroka, just without that 97 that he can fall back on. Keiko tops at 90, maybe 91 on a good day. Um, his, his latest start wasn't great by any stretch of the means, but it was a good start, and, and he, he went deep in the game, and he's good to go, and that's most important. So when, once you get him up in here, whether or not you or I think that he's uh, a Cy Young type of guy, which I certainly don't. I would imagine you don't think so either. Uh, it, it is it is good news for the Braves as far as stabilization. That was the exact word I was going to use. Is he he's going to come in? He's going to stabilize things. There there has been some uncertainty. Uh, Freed looked great tonight. That's the, the best we've seen him look in weeks. Um, so if he if Freed can take the step forward and Keuchel can come in and just kind of. You know you're, what you're going to get out of Dallas Keigel pretty much every time. Um, and to, to put that in with a Soroka who's pitching about like he's supposed to and, and a Julio that's going to pitch like he's kind of supposed to, somewhere in between those last eight starts and the, and the stinker that he put up last night, um, 
you know, th- that's that's a really good starting four. That's a really, really good starting spot for for a team that's, you know, knock on wood, but likely going to going to wind up making the, the playoffs this year. Um, so, yeah, that's a that's a really good place to start. And as far as Freed, you just touched on, you and I were talking before the show. This was such a huge night for Freed. And you guys are probably aware that I'm about the biggest Max Freed homer that there is. Um, and I get made fun of for it a good bit. Uh, but tonight was was a little bit more like the Max Freed that you saw early in the season. And there was a couple reasons for it. First and foremost, the thing that I've been harping on for what seems like a month now with Freed ever since he really got into this rut, was to throw his slider and his changeup. Even though they're not as good as his curveball, and you don't have to throw them 13 15% of the time, he has to throw them enough to where hitters have to respect that he has it in his arsenal. And tonight he did that, and he actually threw his, his slider a lot. Uh, and, and it worked out a lot because it's a totally different break, and it's a totally different speed from his curve, and it, gives, it just messes with hitters' timings. They're not able to have a 50-50 shot of guessing the pitch. And you saw tonight, Freed looked so much better. Uh, the the other key piece for Freed, and this is something I had started to notice. I'm not sure if I mentioned it or not. I might have mentioned it in the Locked On show for, for Wednesday. Um, with his mechanics, coming into this season, when, when they'd asked Max after his first outing about the things that he did differently, one of the things that got lost in that whole explanation, everybody goes right to the whole the bullpen mentality helped me as a starter. What people missed was where he mentioned streamlining his windup, where Max steps to the side and then he goes into a traditional windup. It's, it's very similar to Jose Quintana's. Um, going into this season, so last year and, and before that, Max had a hesitation from where he stepped and when he went to to line up for his his uh, his leg lift. Going into this season this year, he did away with that and made it all one fluid motion. Well, as he started pitching worse and his, his numbers started going down, I noticed that that hesitation was starting to come back, that he was starting to hesitate again. And what happens when he does that is he'd start to flare his hips. He, he'd... Um, he, he would open his hips too soon and it would drag his arm behind him and he, his, he'd end up at a lower arm slot and that curveball would hang and you were seeing guys really barrel up that curveball. Tonight I saw him be a whole lot more streamlined and he kept that front hip closed uh, and he was on point almost all night. Doc and I were, were watching from our phone and tablet respectively uh, able to watch him drop a number of nasty curveballs and it was a much better look at what what Max Freed actually is. And he struck out Pete Alonso throwing ninety eight. I mean, that takes some stones to throw to throw <laughs> to throw that to Pete Alonso and get it by him. Uh, tonight was uh, Max's lowest in game fit since uh, the six near perfect innings that he threw against the Cubs back in April. So this he has struggled so much over the past couple outings. Uh, over the the past five starts, he allowed two, four, five, three, and five runs. Uh, every single one of them earned. So, you know, there's not just necessarily shoddy defense playing behind him. And, uh, you know, and one of those was against the Giants. One of those was against the Marlins. And one of those ones was against the Pirates. And those, those are teams that you're supposed to beat. And I know that, that the Braves wound up winning uh, a couple of those. But if if he can build on that, and like I said, you know, when you're, when you're looking at um, Soroka, Keuchel, Freed, and, and some level of Julio, I mean, that – that's a solid top four, but even who Freed has been in the last little bit, you could tell that there's, 
that it's frustrating him because he knows he's not pitching to the top of his abilities. So it's nice to see him finally pitch like the Max Freed that we know and recognize. And I'm able to just release a, a breath that I've been holding for like the last month <laughs> because <laughs> things had started to take a turn for the worse for old Dylan on the Twitters. Uh, you guys might have seen my, uh, my attempt at the sacrifice of flesh in order to get things turned around, starting to worry that it didn't work. Um, but on to Julio, because I did tell you we talk about Julio before we go to break here. Uh, everybody knows, everybody can realize now, Julio got lit up last night uh, on Tuesday night. He uh, gave up his first. Did you realize that the home run he gave up on Tuesday, this this is going to blow your mind. It was the first home run he'd given up since April, since April 30th. That's unbelievable. That's so very un-Julio-like. You know, like that, that was the thing that killed him last year is that he would he would walk a guy and then give up a single and then he'd give up a home run and just that was like your standard julio meltdown inning and you saw it a thousand times and he was still giving up some hits and he was still giving up some walks but he wasn't they weren't coming around to score because he'd, he'd learned to limit the home run ball but it, it finally i mean after seven weeks of avoiding it it finally came back to bite him so for anybody out there that even insinuated that the real Julio showed up tonight or said anything of the sort. Shame on you. Shame on you. You know, like this is your dude. I've said it a thousand times. Julio was here for all of the bad times. He deserves a little bit of slack. And so look, if good Julio, bad Julio, you should love him no matter what, you know what I mean? Just him as the dude. So when he succeeds, you should be like mega happy and you should not have the schadenfreude and take, take joy in his failure. It was one bad start. Now, if he sucks next week, then we riot. But for now, we will stay home. That's almost exactly the tweet I put out there was uh, was one of those things where it it gets very annoying when a guy has the type of success Julio had for a month and a half, and you say nothing. Then he has one bad start, and it's out of the woodworks, and it was so many people. Oh, guess Julio sucks again. Oh, knew this was coming. Oh, look, it's bad, Julio. Like that is maybe the most annoying thing for me personally on the entire Twitter sphere. Like you did not mention this guy's name for a month and a half, so now it's just randomly. Oh, now he sucks. First off, just looking at what Julio did, yes, regression was obviously imminent. But did you have you dug into his numbers from the start of May to before last night? It was unbelievable. He had an ERA combined from May into going into last night's game. His ERA was a .75, I believe, uh, and his FIP, his FIP was a three four one. So yes, you can say, "Holy crap, that's three points higher, dude." A three four one FIP is 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 really really good. And Julio has made his entire career. You look at his ERA versus his FIP for pretty much any year. He has made an entire career for out pitching his fifth or, or, or he's better. Oh God. It, it just, he's I don't, a nightmare for analytics because he always yeah. out pitches his peripherals. It's like Tim Hudson. Like you can still get it done and it's not necessarily being lucky. You know what I mean? It's just who you are as a pitcher. Some guys, they just defy it. And Julio has been that guy, not just this year, but like every year he's always like that. And the weird thing this year is his, because his home run per fly ball is under 10%. So, like, his XFIP is the highest it's ever been in his career. 
His XFIP right now is 506, yet his FIP is, is down to 435. That's his lowest mark since 2016. And his ERA is at 3.4. Like, no matter how you slice it, and yes, there were some crazy numbers. Like, the BABIP against him during that stretch was, like, insanely low. So you knew it was going to turn around. But that still doesn't take away that that he did pitch better. And there's I see a lot of people saying that, oh, it's... It's not a different Julio. It's the same Julio that it was just a mirage. It's not the same Julio because he's not throwing in the same locations. It's a different style. It's the same stuff. The stuff isn't better, but the way he is pitching is better suited for success. And we should we should be pulling for more good Julio. Like we should be talking more about how good he has been because everybody's been waiting for him to get back to this point since 2016, you know, and people still, people still like say, Oh, we should have sold him. No, we should not have. And it doesn't matter because we didn't, he is still around. You're lamenting about something that, that was hypothetical even three years ago. And now it's like, you're still holding on to that. It was a thousand days. You have gone to bed and woken up a thousand or 1100 times since this was a reality It is not happening. Yeah. Julio's Babip in May, by the way, was 156. That's that's ridiculous. That's that's we knew we knew that was going to be a course correction. And last night was, was one of those starts. And Julio's a guy that he's going to run into starts like that. No matter how well he's pitching, he will run into starts like that, depending on the umpire strike zone, because Julio has to live off the zone. He has to live off the black and not just on the blacks. Like you could see Max Freed paint. Like he has to be anywhere from three to five inches off the black. That's where he has to thrive because he only throws 91. And his slider, he's done such a good job with that slider because he's kept it out of the zone. It, he, he keeps it low. That way when guys hit it, they either roll over it like you see them do a lot this year or they can't put enough lift on it to mash it. And that that's why I think that this is a, is a year for Julio where you know his measurables might still be in the fours for his FIP and stuff like that. But it's a much better pitcher than you've seen the last two years. And you know what's really interesting, too, is that you look at the start Soroka had against the Pirates, and you look at the start that Freed had, uh, whether it's against the Phillies or the Dodgers or any any of the ones where he was really struggling, and people don't seem to be nearly as hard on them as they are on Julio because apparently they are untainted somehow, and they have not had a chance to let people down. I mean, pitchers are pitchers, man. Like like you said, Julio is going to run into some starts like this. Most pitchers will, you know, unless you're – I mean, even Jacob DeGrom, when uh, back in April against the Braves, I mean, he pitched horribly, only made it four or five innings, walked four, gave up a couple home runs and a very un-DeGrom-like outing. And then he comes out, and then you saw what he did last night. He, We talked about the juggernaut that is the Braves offense. He was still capable of coming up and shutting it down. <laughs> You know, yeah. like that's yeah. The Braves' offense is still a juggernaut. You just ran into the buzzsaw named Jacob DeGrom. And when Jake DeGrom is at his absolute peak and he's throwing that 97 mile an hour two seam that's breaking back across the zone and a 95 mile an hour cutter that's breaking all the way out of the zone. You're screwed. There, there's literally nothing you can do. You can't win that game. Even the best offense in baseball can't beat that, but it just, it just goes to show you that like even the most elite of pitchers are going to have bad outings. And this is not to say that I think like Julio is elite or anything, but like even the best, are going to have some really bad outings. So even if you're just good to pretty good, then you're still, you know, you, you sit with an ERA that's three and a half. Well, I mean, for as many games as you have 
where you're going to be putting up zero or one earned runs to get the ERA up to 350 or the the FIP up to four or something, then that means you're going to have to have an outing where you give up six over over four innings. And you can't just go start by start. That's the that's one thing that even for for as as uh, as much as I love the fact that we can microanalyze all these different things, and we I was just talking about Max Fried's in game FIP like five minutes ago. So obviously I'm a I'm a big fan of being able to do that, but like you have to take it on the whole. Like if you look at Josh Donaldson's line on the season, and you said if you had told me before the season Josh Donaldson was going to show up, put up an 860 OPS with 125 weighted runs created plus and 14 home runs in the first 74 games, I'd say you know what I will take that. It doesn't matter when he did it or how he did it. It, it so what. So what he has done a lot of that damage in the last week, you're paying him for the whole year. He can sequence that however he wants. It's the same for any of these other guys. You do good for an entire year or you do well. Some grammar Nazi out there is probably correcting me. I don't even know if that's right or not, but, but like you have to take the entire year as a unit and you can, you know, you've got these little subunits or modules or pods or whatever you want to call these starts or whatever. Like they can be representative if you read too much into them, but it, if it gets, yeah, I made my point. I think the key point there is be happy that Julio had the run that he was on. Calm down. One bad start at this point is exactly what that is. One bad start uh, with the amount of success he's had. He's earned the benefit of the doubt to at least go out there before you freak out and have one more bad start. See, that's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I was trying to say. So I start, before I started talking about <laughs> pods and modules and stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to take a quick break, guys. When we come back, we're going to switch over and talk about some of the minor league guys. And because we pushed that segment so long, we're also going to mention some of the relievers that I'm very high on. I think I've picked out three that I want more than any others. Uh, and shocker of all shockers, Doc has mentioned them all at some point. So uh, we're going to take a quick <laughs> <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with that right here on the Platinum Sombrero. This week's episode of the Platinum Sombrero podcast is brought to you by your dumbass. Are you frustrated with your pet donkey? Does he lack the mental skills necessary to master botany, quantum physics, or even basic algebraic equations? Well, fret not. There's still hope for your dumbass. After enrolling in our rigorous program, your beast of burden will be a burden no more. We guarantee IQs in the high teens, which, if we're being honest, is pretty high for a donkey. We can't make him a smartass, but we can keep him from being a dumbass. Your dumbass. Patent pending. Welcome back, everybody, to the Platinum Sombrero, brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the number one app on the intranets, on the web pages there, to find all of your favorite tickets and all the best tickets for whatever it is you're needing to go to, whether that be a baseball game, a concert, whatever it is, SeatGeek has you covered with their patented app that allows you to see whether or not the prices you're paying are good 
fair or horrible prices. SeatGeek will let you know. It's all color coded. They'll they'll tell you right up front, hey, that's a good price for that particular seat. Or if you're selling your tickets, they'll let you know how much you should be selling them for. SeatGeek makes everything nice and easy to use with their patented app that sends out all the algorithms that scans all the other all all the seats, everybody's reviews for their particular seats, and lets you know in one simple, easy step, SeatGeek.com. And if you use our promo code ACAA, they're going to give you $20 off at checkout. That's two beers at a ballpark, folks. It's good money. You can go out there and have a couple Frenchies Blues for just for using our promo code ACAA. SeatGeek.com, life's an event, and we have the tickets. All right, first things first, before we dig into the meat of this segment, because we're going to talk about the rookies, uh, the, the offensive rookies of this season, and we're going to talk about them a lot on this segment. So before we dig into that, I want to talk relievers. And, Doc, we've talked relievers for probably the last three or four episodes. Uh, and we're probably going to keep talking about them until the trade deadline. Because when you're looking at this team, you're not you're obviously not upgrading any of the fielders. Um, you're probably not upgrading any of the starting pitching. You may, maybe. But I really don't think the Braves are adding another starter. Where they're going to add and where I believe both of us believe they'll add is through the relievers. And as such, there's a lot of relievers that seem to fit the bill. There's not as many teams that are going to be sellers at this point as I would have imagined. It's been kind of a weird baseball season. But the teams that are sellers all seem to have multiple bullpen pieces to sell. And the the piece that, that I came out with, I had I had looked at Will Smith and Sam Dyson. But it was more looking at them on an individual basis. I mean, I think that's something that where you could look at possibly trying to get both. I mean, because the the Giants farm system is barren. Like even after getting Hunter Bishop and and uh, you know they they are still they have Brian Bridges in their corner, so they're they're doing the right stuff that they need to start doing. But they they still have a long way to go. So I think if the Giants would be open to to moving to to uh different relievers as, as one unit, then they could probably turn a better, um, they could probably net a better prospect than if they were just going to wind up selling, selling a piecemeal. See, I think if you're going for Will Smith, you're going to end up having to take on Mark Melanson's contract. I just have a feeling the, that that's going to be what they, what they demand. The thing about Melanson and he has been much better the, than he was when he was still playing out East. The thing about Melanson is that he's got a full no trade. But he might he might really be amenable to coming and playing for a contender, or just saying, "Hey, yeah, just get me the heck out of San Fran." Uh, right. But uh, I, I, those are the those two names, especially Will Smith. Will Smith is kind of the most popular name mentioned. He's the one that everybody talks about. Uh, Sam Dyson is one who's who's got a huge ground ball percentage, so his his name's been popping up a lot more. Uh, friend of the, friend of the program, Jordy Dunchett or Jordy Phillips. Uh, he's a big Sam Dyson guy, mostly because Dyson is Gamecock. But Sam Dyson has also been a really quality pitcher this year. Uh, he's not in my three. I've, I've narrowed it down to three guys, and I want ideally I want two out of these three. Number one is Brad Hand. I think you and I can both agree of the guys who are most likely going to be available. Brad Hand is the best of the bunch. Yeah, uh, he's he's going to cost the most out of any of those guys, but I think that. Uh, that is a real deal closer. That is a guy that is going to wind up coming in and like giving you meaningful innings. He's his last I checked his his ERA was like one ten. His fifth was like one twelve. So I mean he's he's backing it up and he's he's been around the block. You know what I mean? He and he's was, done it he in was, both leagues, by the way. Yeah, I mean, and he this is the he's having the best year of his career. And as far as 
uh, relievers that are on good, solid contracts that are you're actually you're not just going to get like the problem with Will Smith. Will Smith is a great pitcher, but he's also a free agent at the end of the year. It keeps prospect costs down, but it also, you know, if you want him back, then you're going to have to negotiate a contract with him. So, um, you know, hand you're locked into for a good couple years. And, Seven million uh, next year with a team option in 2021 of 10 million with a one million dollar buyout. Yeah, I mean, so he's he's uh, stopping short of, of Craig Kimbrell money, and he's still still a little bit younger, and he's got a, a little bit cleaner track By the record. Way, of, you sold him short on his ERA. His ERA right now point eight eight. Oh man, I feel I feel like I was dragging him through the mud a little bit. Point eight eight with a one five seven FIP. And <laughs> if the Braves want to get a guy like Hand, I mean, he's going to be in serious demand. Like I can see a team like Philadelphia going out and getting super desperate and just saying, "Take whatever we got. We need this guy." Because if you're going to make the statement that you're going to spend stupid money, then you're going to set a certain expectation for your fans. And after having kind of scuffled for a little bit, then you definitely want to make sure that you can make some type of big splashy move. So that's a team that I would keep keep my eye on. So the, the and it was right around this time last year that uh, that the Indians kickstarted the trade market like right before the deadline. They got out ahead of everybody. They wound up trading uh, Francisco Mejia so they could wind up getting Hand and Adam Simber. So, like, somebody's going to have to kick off the trading, and it might as well be us. But anyway, I totally derailed you. Brad Hand is your number one. Who's your number two? Hansel Robles. And if you had asked me before the season, I would have never mentioned Hansel Robles. And I, I liked Robles' arm with the Mets. I had him on my fantasy team for a while last year. But he has he has done such an amazing job this year of cleaning up the consistency in his pitches. Like he's always had a huge arm. He throws 100 mile an hour. He's got a, an amazing slider. Uh, he, he's kind of similar to Luke Jackson, only better in every way. Like his fastball's a little bit better. His slider's a little bit better. Uh, and and he, he's just been great. And for the Angels, a team that generally sucks with pretty much every pitcher ever, like Hansel Robles has been a revelation for them. I mean, Go look at some video. You can see it on uh, last week's guest, Pitching Ninja, Rob Friedman. You can see on his on his Twitter page uh, a gif of him last night or messing with uh, with Vlad Guerrero Jr. with a, a really long leg kick and a double uh, a long pause and a double leg kick and then still blew 100 mile an hour past him. Hansel Robles has had one of the best seasons I've, uh, of any reliever this year, and He's doing it as a righty, and I really do think that the Braves could use another really good righty in this pen. I will, I will agree. Robles, when I started writing writing that piece, was one of the guys that I had my eye on, but he didn't make the uh, he didn't make the final cut. But yeah, he's cleaned up a lot of his stuff. He's he's a lot better now than he was when when we had more exposure to him when he was playing playing for the Mets. That gift that you're talking about of him messing with the timing and still being able to pop a hundred. I mean, that's amazing. It is unbelievable to be able to throw that hard, even if you're just fully flailing, looking like a like an inflatable arm flailing tube man. But I mean, he's just like coming from a solid standstill, just not moving at all to throwing a hundred. Like that's that's real velocity, and he's got good movement on his pitches. He's like, I could see it, and I don't think he would wind up costing a ton either because he does. Yeah, I don't think he's got the, the same track record as a guy like Hans. No, so. he's never put up more than .8 F more, and he's about to pass that now. He's at .7 right now, uh, and he's a guy that last year was a negative value. So 
it's a little bit it's a it was a rehab for the Angels essentially. I don't think they gave up anything to get him. And the Angels are a team that you could pretty much sell them on like your number 10th ranked pitcher. Like just pure pitcher because they have nothing nothing as far as pitching goes in that system or on the major league club for that matter. True. And uh, Anthopolis and is it Arnie Moreno, I yes. think is the uh, is the GM. I mean, they've they've made a couple trades before. The infamous Jim Johnson for Justin Kelly deal that worked out for approximately no one. So, uh, <laughs> so there's there's some familiarity there so I can see a trade like that. So who's who's you have at, num- at your number 3? My number 3 is another one that at the beginning of this year I would not have mentioned, Greg Holland, and he was on your list. I I like Greg Holland. I, I do like Greg Holland as well, and I think that Arizona is kind of to a point now where they're they're just kind of treading water, and they would they would be wise like they had as good of a draft as anybody, so they just kind of restocked the cupboard, you know. But I think that a good trade line, excuse me, a good trade deadline where they can cash in anybody on the big league roster that they know they're not, they're not going to wind up with next year um, would probably help them further that. So Holland, I think, is is definitely going to be on the table. And he's he's one of those guys that should be cheaper because the the numbers the ERA is sterling. His ERA is one nine nine. His FIP is three sixty five, um, and that a lot of that came from a couple bad starts. For the most part, he's been really really good this year. He just haven't hasn't gotten to be out there very much because for whatever weird reason, the Diamondbacks aren't in a lot of save situations. Like if they beat teams, they usually blow them out. Holland has ten saves. He's only blown one. For whatever weird reasons, they tend to lose close games and win blowouts. That's just kind of the type of team that they are. And Holland is a guy that he's coming off of a really bad year last year. We we saw what he had with uh what was it with the Cardinals before he kind of rehabbed a little bit. Um, or am I thinking Gregerson? No, that, that that's right. Was he Holland. was uh, he had like a seven ten ERA with the Cardinals, right? Yeah, he paid and him like fourteen million. Pitched with the Nationals after that. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and that Nationals bit actually kind of rehabbed his value last year because he actually pitched really well from the Nationals. Um, but I like Greg Holland. I think that he would fit in really well in this bullpen. Um, Brad Hand, obviously, is the guy that I think if you only could get one person. Hand is the guy that I look at as if you're looking to take this bullpen uh, and, and go head-to-head with like the Dodgers, uh, with the Astros, with the Yankees, et cetera, et cetera. Hand is the guy that gives you the best chance to do that because he's a guy that you feel could lock down not just a save opportunity, but whatever the most important situation arises in that game. You know what makes me really sad? Like my number one guy on this list was Ken Giles. I was talking about Kevin Gossman being a dick and you need that to be a closer. Ken Giles is certifiably insane. I am very sad that he's experiencing elbow tendonitis and will not be oh, he's getting back. traded. He's back, by the way. Is he back? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's uh, he's not missing any other any extra time. Well, there we go. Now we might legitimately have an opportunity to acquire a guy that punched himself in the face on national television, which if there's anything that this roster needs to put them over the top, you know, we got the exciting rookies. We got the crafty veterans we've got. And now we just need the one guy who, who is absolutely mental on this team. You know, it's like when you, you look at this team, it's basically like major league. Like if the, the 1989 Indians were a real life team, it would be the 2019 Braves. So, and uh, well, I guess they wound up getting eliminated in the, in the, the ALC or, ALDS. I can't remember how they how they used to do the playoff format. But anyway, I digress. Nick Markakis just hit a two run double to call back to our uh, 
segment in the first half about how annoying he is as a hitter. So, Dude, he's going to be like the most annoying Hall of Fame member of all time. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> it is going to be a weird day on the Twitter sphere when that happens. Uh, but digressing, that I'm not a I'm not a Ken Giles fan. I know he's pitched really really well this year. I just hate his face. I hate his dumb beard and his jerky eyes and everything about him. Uh, dude punched himself in the face, and, and I I can't get behind that. Um, but everybody's hitting Ken Giles. Even Ken Giles is hitting Ken Giles. Right. I, I just can't do it. But moving on from relievers, because we have talked about that all the time. One of the things that I really wanted to talk about with Doc today, and I talked about this on the Tuesday episode of Locked on Braves. The this year has been weird all around. Like there's some weird teams that have no business being in the hunt or even being close to 500 teams like the Diamondbacks have no business being near 500 yet. They are the angels somehow have been playing really well of late. I mean, good Lord. Tommy LaStella has 15 home runs this year. He, he's like he's the leading vote getter in the uh, for the second base in the American League. Tommy LaStella had never had 15 home runs total in his career before this it. year. He had like nine total home runs in his career coming in. Now, granted, I love Tommy LaStella, so I'm really happy this has happened for him. But that is insane. Mike Trout with 22 home runs already because he's Mike flipping Trout. Um, but maybe the weirdest thing for this entire season has been how incredible the rookies have been offensively and Acuna and Juan Soto were insane last year. And that's two of them. And generally you've got one or two rookies who are really, really good. There's usually at least one guy debuting who is really good offensively. There's like eight or nine this year who are playing out of their minds. The two guys that are at the top of the F4 leaderboards, do you know what they have in common? Is that it's Pete Alonso? Oh, no. It's it's Pete Alonso and Fernando Tatis Jr. And those are the two guys that the teams opted not to play service time games with. It makes perfect sense why they wouldn't. It also makes perfect sense why they would. But, like, that right there, that goes to show you, and especially considering that Tatis went up missing a ton of time with a, a groin injury, a hamstring injury, like from doing the... It was the, the groin split. injury against the Braves, right? Yeah, well, it was. It happened right before the series because that uh, when we played them back in April, uh, they were not... Uh, he was not able to play. That was like right after the, the injury happened. But he still posted almost two, uh, two F-war in 39 games. Like, he... It's amazing. Like, they're rewarding their teams for doing the right thing. But beyond that, you got Michael Chavis for the Red Sox, uh, Jordan Alvarez, Nixon Zell, Eloy Jimenez, Vlad Guerrero. Vlad Guerrero, who was like the most hyped prospect in baseball in years, like he was, I would say that he was more hyped than Acuna just because he, oh, because he was doubt. so young. Vlad yeah, Guerrero Jr. is Vlad's son. He has an 80 grade hit tool, monster power. Right. Like, and he, he and Eloy, the two most hyped coming into this year, they're the lowest on the list. Yeah. And the guy who was one of the lowest ranked out of all of these guys, who I purposely skipped his name because we've had a front row seat, Austin Riley. You know what Austin Riley has done in the in the first thirty two games of his career? It's unreal. It is absolutely unreal. You look at prospect lists, which we're going to touch on a l- in a little bit, and you know Riley wasn't even a top hundred guy a year or two ago, and now like Baseball America has him as number ten in the whole game, dude. Like part of the reason why I fell in love with, with following prospects was because like 
it's during the rebuild that was kind of all we had but in, in the process of doing that you start seeing all these guys come up where it was you know Dansby was coming up and and just in in that that kind of era i mean it's exciting it's good for the game to have this influx of talent but this year like no other you're seeing all of these guys showing up and doing unbelievable things everybody's striking out a quarter of their uh quarter of their plate appearances but you know, these are big bodied, young, wide eyed guys. I mean, they're, they got where they're at by swinging, you know, Pete Alonso has 24 home runs in 72 games. He's on pace to hit 54. The kid is, is he 23. It's amazing. Yeah. Not only is Alonzo going to win rookie of the year, like he might win an MVP <laughs> and it's not just Alonzo. Like I'm, I'm, you went through those names so fast, and I, I really want to touch on this because it just, it's really incredible to me how well these guys are doing. And this, I, I did this list yesterday, so the numbers might be off now. But Alonso had accumulated 2.4 F WAR. We're not even at the All Star break. The dude has played 72 games. Like he could be a five WAR player at the end of this season, of his rookie season. He's gonna hit close to 50 homers. He's gonna hit over 100 RBI on a bad Mets team where there's not really anybody else to pitch to beside like the one guy that you don't want to pitch to is the guy that is destroying everybody. And, and, and he, and let me just cut in real quick. He's doing this at first base too. So a lot of his value is not derived defensively and at all. Like, he's a righty righty first baseman, which you do not see. That's yeah. I can't. And he's one of the, like, I hate Pete Alonzo. I love Pete Alonzo. Like, you know how I feel about the Mets, dude. But, like, that guy, he's amazing. And if he's not in the home run derby, it's going to be criminal. Like, I can't even hate him. I just love watching him. And he's one of those guys that, oh, he was a second-round pick. He was only a second-round pick because he's a horrific first baseman. Like, he's so bad defensively that he he really shouldn't play first. It's the only reason why he fell out of the first round. He was a monster at Florida. He's a monster now. And the rest of the guys on this list have been almost as good in their own ways. You talked about Tatis, who is a monster of a man. He's close to 6'4", 200 pounds. He's playing shortstop when I had a dead set. Oh, yeah, he's going to be a third baseman. He's played a heck of a shortstop. He's been great defensively. Michael Chavis, a dude that got popped for for something last year, some sort of steroid, uh, 50 games he missed last year. Uh, in 52 games, he's hit 12 homers with 34 RBIs. He's worth .9, so he's basically got one win above replacement. Austin Riley, as of yesterday, .8 with the 11 homers and 32 ribbies. Um, Vlad Jr. and Eloy, the two guys that we, you and I would have pegged to be like the top two guys. I mean, 46 games for Eloy, so 47 now, and he missed a lot of time with some injuries. He's got 12 homers now, 25 or a little bit over 25 ribbies because he, he launched a, a game winner last night. But he's hit about 250. He's only worth about .2 F4. Vlad Jr., the guy that everybody thought was going to because he hit like 400 in AAA, he's uh, seven homers and 19 RBIs. But the one guy that I love Austin Riley now – uh, I've fully owned up to, to being proven wrong by him, by the adjustments he made. The guy that is the most fun for me to watch and the most fun for me to follow is Jordan Alvarez from the Astros. If you haven't heard of this kid yet and, and he's somehow available in your dynasty league, grab him immediately. This is a guy that 
he's going to win the AL uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Not Vlad Jr., not Eloy Jimenez, not Michael Chavis. It's going to be Jordan Alvarez. And this is a guy that if you didn't hear about him coming into this year, you probably have no idea what happened. Every, like You guys are, are all Braves fans, so you're aware of what Austin Riley was doing in Gwinnett. Jordan Alvarez was matching, if not bettering, Austin Riley in Corp. Was it in um, Round Rock? Right, Frisco. Is that uh, is that Houston's AAA? I can't remember whether it's Round Rock or, or Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi's AA. So okay, Round then, Rock. then it's probably Round Rock. Yeah, just absolute monster. And he's played in now. He's played in eight games. But when I wrote this, he had played in six games. He had eight hits. Four of them were home runs. In six games, he put up .6 F war. This is a guy who's 6'5", close to 235, 240 pounds. He was playing in left field, and he already he plus he was positive DRS as well. This is a guy that everybody's like, oh yeah, he's a first baseman or a DH. He wasn't highly recruited. He wasn't like he wasn't some huge amateur signing coming from the DR, I believe, for him as well. He was just a big dude that is a monster with the bat, and it's not just the home runs with him. He walks a ton. He's had one year in his minor league career where his walk, his walk rates were not double digits. He never struck out 26% of the time. This is a guy, remember that name, Jordan Alvarez. He's going to win your AL Rookie of the Year, and he is going to be – like I kind of hate that the Astros never seem to miss. Like you're, Everybody was starting to get worried about Kyle Tucker because he's been awful in his short stints in the major leagues. So what happens? Jordan Jordan Alvarez is like, hey, don't worry. I've got this, and I'm better than him. And boom. It's not really fair that the Astros did this, but I can't be mad. When you watch this young kid play, when you watch any of these rookies play, it's such a, a huge thing for Major League Baseball. You add these into the guys like last year. You add them into the guys like Acuna and Soroka and Juan Soto. Baseball's in such good hands right now that I almost feel it's criminal that baseball has not marketed towards these guys more than they have. We talk a lot about when guys hit their prime, you know, 27, 28, 29. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if that's completely applicable across the board anymore because, like, the golden age of baseball players, I mean, they're all, like, 21, 22. And th- that's, not, uh, that's not a completely reflective statement, but I, it's just amazing. It, it is just such a young man's game anymore in which it, it makes somebody who who can pitch like Bartolo Colon, who's literally twice as old as every single uh, guy that's on this list. I mean, he was, you know, when he was pitching as recently as last year. I mean, just the physical toll it takes on somebody. Trust me, I'm old, and Bar- Bartolo makes me look young. So it's it's just amazing to see all all of these young guys come up and immediately start making impact. And there there's still some other guys like we talked about. Kevon Biggio is it is it doing great? And Victor Robles, who is super hyped. Is you know he's been worth you know point two f four. Oh hold on a minute. Year. You mean Victor Robles, the guy that I said for the last year and a half was overrated, is overrated? Uh, that is affirmative, and uh, you know he also is uh, got a seven oh five OPS right now. But but that's not that's not to say that he, that he doesn't still have some more in the tank. But I mean, for as many guys as there are that have showed up and immediately just showed out. I mean, it's been. It's amazing to see, man. And now you start looking a little bit farther down the line at guys like Wander Franco, guys that have Ooh, not made Wander Franco, Wander <laughs> Franco, Royce Lewis, Joe Adel. I mean, the the next wave that's coming on the other side of that 
it has the opportunity to be just as impressive. I mean, it's like this game is in really good hands. And and I, I thought about this earlier today about um, in the off season, writers need content. So they will invent problems. And you see the same article every year. What's wrong with baseball? How do we fix baseball? Nothing, because that implies that something is wrong with baseball. Nothing is wrong with baseball. Like, you look at this. This is a perfect example. The game is changing, but change is not inherently bad. It's like, I hate that narrative that something's wrong with it and that something needs to be done to fix it. See, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I do think there's something wrong with baseball. We're going through this list of all these young players, and it, you know, the let's just say how many how many players. If you were to look, take a look at the the top players on Fangraphs for pitchers and for offense. Like what? What would you say a percentage would be of guys that are under the age of twenty six that are twenty five and under? I mean, shit, about a lot of them, right? But the problem, like Major League Baseball, they did this thing in the playoffs of let the kids play. All right, cool, whatever. But they don't market these young guys the way they should. This is these these young guys performing the way they are. This is the way that you get young kids to to buy into not just buying a baseball but to buy into players, guys who are 21, 22, 23, guys that are going to be playing for 10, 12, 15 years in some cases. This is how you build lifelong fans and you grow the game of baseball to that next audience. Baseball has a really, really discern or really disturbing problem as far as viewership, as far as the age of viewership goes. It's by far the oldest sport or oldest viewers is by far baseball on average and there's the the largest gap between the the younger viewers and the older viewers so how do you fix that you start marketing these young guys who are so incredibly talented get them out there all the time and not just by marketing a-holes like just show these kids being kids and being as amazing as they are and the rest will take care of itself get the the younger kids in the world who, who like baseball get them enamored with these young stars and that's how you grow the game and i think i think you're right just because i can see baseball being actually a really hard game to market and this is coming from somebody that has loved baseball his entire life but trying to turn somebody on to baseball that doesn't quite get it because the whole thing about it is nuanced like you look at football it's a kind of like the rules. Guy run of, fast. Guy hit hard. Right. Like it's almost like it's a it's a lot more primal to use lack of a better word. There's a different word that I that I want to use, but I'm not going to because I know we probably have a lot of people that are football fans. And even basketball is is a little easier to digest. Baseball, it's like watching chess. Or it's like trying to market golf. And there's you know so I mean? much of it, too. It's a, it's different because football and basketball are such shorter seasons by comparison. 16 games and then playoffs and um, 82 games for basketball. Where baseball, you've got 162 games where they're playing every single day for, what, five days a week most of the time they play. And and I've talked to some of my closest friends, like my, my two old roommates, both loathe baseball and and i asked them why and one of them just said because it's never not going on you know like how could you possibly be how could you ever miss the sport like all you have to do is just turn the game on you know with with football it it builds the anticipation from week to week or whatever and, I, and i'm like i i get that there's some there's some challenges to marketing it but yeah, you're right i think that you start looking at at some of these guys like acuna and all these are they, they don't necessarily fall into the rookies category, but those type of personalities and big boisterous, just like 
grown children type things. You know, that's the, the that's how you impart the joy onto all these people. So um, it's baseball is kind of between a rock and a hard place as, as far as marketing goes. I can imagine it being being really difficult. You just have to take the right angle. Or just just put the young guys out there and just show what they do. It shouldn't be as difficult as it is. So they should be much better on social media than they are. I'll tell you that. Um, but we're we're getting long in the tooth on this segment as well. So I want to let, let's dip our toes into the prospects, specifically the Braves prospects, because uh, was it MLB Pipeline is about to put out their their they just re up their top one hundred, I believe. Correct. Yeah. 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 They haven't. Uh, the signing deadline has not passed for for draftees. So they haven't uh, uh, expanded to include all of those guys yet, but they reordered uh, who who is currently on the list. Okay, tell me tell me some guys that are standing out to you uh, for the Braves or for or for just in general. Let's stick with the Braves because we've got about fifteen minutes tops. Okay, um, Austin Riley. I think as of today, uh, he he would have just graduated off of the top prospect list, so his. Uh, his run as being number 20 for Pipeline and being number uh, 10 for Baseball America, that run is now over. It was a good run for him. He ended on, on a very high note. But the fact that Christian Pache is ranked as number 14, is that's very telling. For everybody who has been saying all along, like, the defense is major league ready at age 18 and the power is going to come, I mean, there's a lot of validation going on there. And he's... He's ranked as a 60 overall future value. I think that is just... He's ranked as a 60 when last year he was a 50. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really like... It's becoming real. We all knew that the possibility was in there. The, the power has finally come. He's changed his setup at the plate. He's not flailing at pitches anymore. He's staying on his back foot more, and he's allowing the ball to come to him instead of just trying as hard as he can and to just slap a single the other way. He's waiting for his pitch. I just I love the kid. Um, and he's such and a hard worker. So like, like when when people say you know prospects are always suspect, uh, but a guy like Pache, like, it's so hard to bet against him, especially when you hear the way that people talk about the way that he works at getting better. That's when you start saying that a guy that works that hard has a better chance of reaching a ceiling than somebody who's just supernaturally talented but doesn't work hard at it. Yeah, and and he obviously had some work to do. And I, I think that he knew that. And the fact that he's been willing to put in the work has been a testament to how good he, he wants to be, which is in, in a lot of cases, that's, it really comes down to who's going to, who's willing to work the hardest to get the most out of themselves. So he wasn't even a top hundred guy, uh, as of last year. And now to be as high as he is, man, that's, that's great for him. Uh, Ian Anderson is another one who had a, had a slow start to the year. But he's started to turn it on over his last uh, six starts or so. They've got him ranked at number 27, which is actually one spot behind Kyle Wright. So apparently there's a lot of uh, a lot of people out there that still believe in Wright. So don't don't write off his stat lines if you're you know, if you're just looking at that to, to see how he's how his season is going. You know, MILB TV is not that expensive. So if you're really curious about it, feel free to, to get that and watch a couple of his starts. So I think that, that the sequencing of those two, uh, Wright and Anderson, is really interesting. And uh, Drew Waters, he, he's up to he, number 45. Well, he's about to jump up at the next reorder. Yeah, like I've been 
not not even critical, but I've been I've been cautious with him because the strikeouts are high. I mean, he's striking out in 28, 29% of his plate appearances. Uh, the BABIP is really high. But all the kid is doing is hitting. He's got 31, excuse me, 36 extra base hits in 275 bats. He's hitting 338. His his OPS is 916. He's 20 years old playing in a pitcher's park. He had a home run opposite field in the All-Star game. I'm like, what's going to happen when he gets to AAA and he's playing with the with the streamlined ball? Not the juice ball, because it's not juice, but it's streamlined. It's tighter. So, I mean, him and Pache and Acuna, like, it seemed like a pipe dream a year ago to be like, oh, these three guys are going to be playing in the outfield in 2020. Dude, it's not that far-fetched. It's going to happen. Pache at least is going to be up there. I can't wait for – I think these two guys might come up together. Like – there, we we talk about kind of these guys that that always kind of like uh, Hayward and Freddie Freeman are were were a duo. Uh, Tommy Hansen and Chris Madlin duo. Um, I mean, I guess you could say Ozzie and Acuna. I don't really count them as duo because I guess you could say Ozzie and Dansby. They were they were a duo, right? They came up the same year. Oh yeah, yeah. The everybody knew those two were going to be playing up the middle together for a long time. Like. This is just the next setup, and these two guys, their their numbers are insane in AAA. In Trustmark Park, which is notoriously hard to hit in, they're both slugging over 500. Pache is huge, by the way. Like there, There's this kind of weird thought that because he was a speedy guy that he wasn't big. He's about 6'2", 6'3". He's over 200 pounds, and he's also a, a, a 70 speed, almost almost hitting the 75. He's a top-of-line top of 80 defender. Like, Pache is a dude, and Drew Waters offensively, like all this hype we have for Drew Waters offensively, and he really hasn't turned on the right-handed hitting yet. He's still raw as can be right-handed. So all this stuff you're seeing with him right now is mostly built off his left-handed swings, left-handed results. Imagine what it's going to be like when he starts getting the right-handed to average or a little bit above average, even if it never reaches his left-handed swing. Imagine what it's going to be like for him when he becomes competent right-handed. And uh, John, I think it's Calvano, it might be Calvagno, uh, who is at Sal Notes on Twitter. He's a fantastic follow. Uh, he mentioned something similar to that not too long ago, and he said if Waters was strictly a left-handed prospect, if you base what he's doing from the left side, like you can make a case where he's top 15 prospect in all of baseball. That's insane. Because in the offseason, when Waters was posting some video of his swing from the right side, it is pretty. Yeah, Andy Harris sent it to us. That right-handed swing is better looking than his left-handed swing. It's just a matter of time before that comes around. Yeah, it's it's geared for gap power. Uh, some of it might be might be the pitcher's park. Some of it might be the ball. But like this kid is special. I like I said, I've been really cautious about pouring too much praise on him, uh, just because I wanted to see if anything was going to correct. But I mean, at this point. We are 68 games into the season, and he's still riding like a 420 Babbitt or something. And I don't know if that's just because he's getting lucky repeatedly or the fact that he's just mashing the ball all the time. But I to see that Pipeline and fan graphs and everywhere you look is starting to, to bump him up lists, because it's it's not just pipeline that's that's taking notice of this, you know. Fangraphs uh, has him at thirty six overall. Baseball America's got him at fifty four. Kid's legit. 
we're we're looking at a real deal homegrown kind of i'm not going to use the term superstar but like this kid's special 20 years old man it's totally and, insane and it's yeah. totally insane when you see the the way that those two are doing and it's kind of I'm hoping that people will give up being on one side or the other. Like you're either team Pache or team waters. Like I'm hoping people will kind of start being like, why not just be team both? Like both of them. Um, the idea, the, the list of people that you would trade either player for is rapidly, rapidly shrinking. I don't think it exists anymore. I think both of them like Pache Pache is going to wind up in triple a, like, within the month and i wouldn't be surprised to see waters get a little bit of time in uh, in august which is the, the last month of the of the triple a season i mean i it, i think now they're so close to where you it would take being like a max scherzer type so by to the really, way we should mention max scherzer breaking his own nose in a like bunting in practice somehow it makes him look even scarier and in the most max scherzer way possible he breaks his nose yesterday he's like no i'm still pitching tomorrow uh and went eight innings today i believe it was like did you see his line today yeah he struck out 10 didn't allow any runs broke his nose he got a black eye that one black that one black colored eye that just steals your soul which eye was the black eye was it the brown one or the blue one the blue one I mean, God, just I would follow Max Scherzer into war because I know that he would be way more willing to die than because me. I don't want I don't want to be against him. No, no, I mean, what an animal! And I we talked about this last year about you know if you could t- pick one player to build a franchise off of Max Scherzer all day for me, and and the Nationals are falling behind and they're they're playing better as of late. I mean, and, and if there's a possibility that that they would entertain trading him within the division, which they would never do, but I would give up anything. I would give up Christian Pache and Drew Waters to have Max Scherzer on this team. He is just, yeah, he went seven innings, four hits, two walks, 10 strikeouts with a black eye. Uh, he, he is just a frightening man and, and a hilarious he man. He did it against the Phillies, which makes me love him even more. It, it was really cool. Um, but as far as the Braves things go, you're right. Like that's the type of tier you're talking about when you're talking about trading these guys. It's it's no more of I'll trade one of these guys for a top shelf reliever or trade one of these guys for Madison Bumgarner. Like you're so far past that tier with these guys now already. Uh, and, and there's still more. You still got. We still didn't even talk about Bryce Wilson, who's 74 on the list. Shay Langoliers, who will be on that list. He'll probably be ranked anywhere from seventh to tenth in the Brave system. Uh, once they get all the draft picks slotted in there, um, th- there's a lot going on for the Braves right now, and there's a lot of good things. So, like, everybody seems to have graduated. Tukey's not a prospect. Soroka's not a prospect. Freed's off the list. But the Braves still have waves and waves and waves coming on. So, this there, there's not going to be a lot of holes in this team here before too much longer. There's so many guys that are kind of homegrown, if you will. Uh, I fully expect Christian Pache to be in the Braves major league roster by the end of April next year, I guess May, whenever the, whenever the arbitration time is up. Uh, so what would it be the end of April or second week of May, something like that. Whenever- yeah, it, it, the, I think, uh, what is it? Three weeks. If they, yeah. if they opt to play service time games with them, the, which they well, will, the, the, Alex is going to yeah. play service time. Well, yeah. So, I mean, and, and they're also, they're starting the, 
the season a lot earlier than they used to. So it could be, you know, but we're going to be filing our taxes around about the time that, that Christian Pache is, uh, is getting called up. That's a tax return all in itself. Yeah. You know, there you go. You see that, that's how they're going to start giving us our refunds. Right. We're going to call it the prospect. Then so I think drew waters would join him a little bit later in that year. It, it's going to be a fun time to be a Braves fan. Um, by the time that this next list comes out, there's no telling what other Braves players might jump on the list that aren't on it right now. I would assume William Contreras will be up in that top 100 as well. Uh, there, there's a few other guys that are going to be right on that cusp that seem to be doing really well. George, uh, Joey Wentz will be on that. will be right up breaking into that list as well. He's pitched really well this year. Uh, Kyle Muller will be on there as well if he's not already. There, there's a lot of guys who are going to break that list. And you're starting to see some of these guys jump into the back of other lists. William, William Contreras is number 46 overall for Fangraphs. Uh, he's in the uh, – let's see. Hold on. Hold on. Bear with me. Uh, Contreras is 88 for Baseball America. Muller is on Baseball America's list as well. He's number 85. So, uh, yeah. And and once Langoliers, yeah, he's absolutely – he's going to be within the Braves' top 10. He was ranked as 55 future value, which is the same tier as a lot of the guys that we're discussing now. Um, beyond that, I don't know if there's anybody else from this particular draft that's going to wind up being in the top hundred just because of the way they spread it out, at least not this year, but some of those other guys like, uh, Vaughn Grissom, Michael Harris, uh, Stephen Pellini, who is, who is my, my favorite, uh, my favorite new Braves prospect, uh, could eventually wind up doing something. I mean, there's a long way to go for, for a lot of these guys. Tyler Owens is another one, but we Copy talked about waves, you know, and he got <laughs> copy got completely excommunicated from the sport because he was trying to implement waves. So there's still now what's going to happen is that there's going to be the possibility to have the full major league roster. And you're not just trading guys to supplement. Now it's like there's literally no room, so you might as well start start trading these guys you know it's just going to be a completely different methodology because there's not a lot of spots like within the next year or two there's really not going to be hardly any spots or prospects to break in no we're about to be at that coveted position where you've got a great major league team and a great farm system so the best of both worlds the guys that are only fans of major leagues and the guys who are more fans of prospects are both going to be able to join and the world's going to join hands and sing kumbaya and the platinum sombrero will still be the number one podcast not just in braves nation but in baseball nation period and you guys will still be listening to us and we'll have taken our place as overlords in the baseball podcasting community kumbaya right so uh with that said we are definitely out of time for this week's episode uh thank you guys so much for stick for those of you that stuck with it through the end we love you guys you guys know where to find us leave a subscription follow through whatever comments question concerns you know where it all is thank you guys so much for joining us this week here on the platinum sombrero Get the next five.